Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. So if you guys have been following us on our social media platforms, then you know that this weekend we met a woman named Andrel and her nine-year-old daughter, Azaria. So Andrel was working at Chick-fil-A before COVID hit, Chick-fil-A at the airport. And when COVID hit, they reduced everybody's hours down to one day a week. Obviously, working at Chick-fil-A one day a week is not enough to keep your home situation So we actually met her on the side of the road with a suitcase and her little girl. There's tears streaming down her eyes, so obviously we stopped and asked if she was okay. She said no and told us about how she recently lost unemployment and could no longer afford where she was living. And it was the weekend, so homeless shelters, if you guys don't know, aren't really open for taking in new people on the weekends. So she was panicking a little bit about what's going to happen for her and her daughter that night we were able to help her get back on her feet a little tiny bit by uh, helping her with her rent and phone bill for this month and as we got to know her a little better we found out that she also has an infection that is spreading throughout her mouth because she hasn't been able to go to a dentist in a long long time and so for five days now she hasn't really been able to consume solids so we're trying to get her Uh, her dentistry situation situated as we all would hope that if the tables were turned somebody would help us out like that too we started a GoFundMe so if you guys want to help contribute to this cause to help pay for her dentistry bills and help relieve some of the pain I don't know if you guys have ever had a toothache or tooth infection but it is definitely one of the worst kinds of pains that's out there so Hopefully we can get that situated for her. And if you guys want to contribute, go to our GoFundMe page. The link is in our bio and it's in our website too. And we'll put it in the show notes here. So easy access. So that was the weekend adventure. And as far as today's podcast, we talked about the ins and outs of trauma and why we want to really normalize this conversation. It's extremely important because... We have to come to terms with the fact, the reality of, that we are living in a very traumatized world. So if we don't feel comfortable talking about this and getting a little more um, into the knowledge and understanding of what's going on here, then how can we ever move forward? And as always, take in a deep breath with us. And tune in. We just did another little portal that we open up before every conversation. It makes a big difference. It really does. They ground us and they help us stay in the present, which is so important. 
I went down a Thomas, I hope I'm saying his last name right, Thomas Hubel, Black Hole. He is one of the main people who has been putting together the Collective Trauma Summit for 2020. And I've been watching some of his videos. One of the main things that he stresses on how we can really heal ourselves and our community is by presencing ourselves. So making ourselves really present for the current moment and this helps so much with dealing with past fears and past traumas he says that presence is the birthplace of the future and it's an integration tool of the past and he really stresses how when we gather into a group with an intention to really be present and connect with each other we act in a more intelligent way that pushes us forward if that makes sense like we're able to access more intelligent intelligent parts of our brain most evolved parts of our brain and this allows us to not act out of fear and he also talks about how trauma is actually doesn't even have so much to do with what you're dealing with right now it is triggering a fear of the past which is really interesting because so many people you know we're all very emotional with what's happening in the world right now and I've been seeing memes that say like 2020 sucks and I I know they're a little tongue-in-cheek you know it's not just 2020 you know once 2021 comes over it's going to be over that's not the case but at the same time it's really important to know that this is just triggering seeds that have been planted for a really long time and one of the ways that we're going to be able to really get through this time is through presencing and group coherence so connecting with others and really being here in a way that allows us to integrate the past and move forward into the future. I love that he and that he follows up the statement on how important it is to presence with saying that the most effective way to do it is by being in a collective in a group that's holding that intention because and this is something I've been I've been researching depression a little more deeply recently and something that I hadn't really, I've never really encountered or thought about in my training of mindfulness is that, well, Dr. Elisha Goldstein talks about how before teaching clients mindfulness, which is being present, it's important to make sure that they're not currently in a really, in a depressive state. Because when you ask somebody to be present or to be mindful of what's happening a big part of that is 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 becoming aware of your internal experience and if you're already depressed it's not necessarily very helpful to become very aware of your internal experience it can it can have a um an effect an unintended effect of actually making you more aware of your depression and taking you deeper into the rumination cycle but if as uh, Thomas Hubel is saying you do it within a community, within a group, you have the protective factor of other humans being around you because as we've said so many times in our podcast, our nervous system becomes regulated in the presence of other people that we feel safe with. That's probably how we can bridge those two theories or those two uh, schools of thought is saying that you know, if you are in isolation, going into meditation or going, if you don't have a lot of experience with it and you're new to it, 
if you're in isolation and feeling depressed, that that's might not be the best strategy for you right away. Granted, it's going to be a little different for everybody, but it's just, it's some things to keep in mind that one of the most protective factors for experiences of depression or experiences of, of trauma is experiencing healing safe relationships with other humans. And so just kind of keeping that as a little side note, when we think about presencing is can you do it in spaces of where other people can help you regulate a little bit? That ties in with what he says about trauma really well, because he says that when you're dealing with trauma, relation is one of the remedies and retraction and isolation is one of the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So by isolating ourselves and keeping ourselves away from people, we're really just kind of like swimming deeper into that traumatic world yeah. that keeps us stuck. If you don't have a lot of training with meditation, mindfulness is just kind of becoming aware of your external experience. You become aware of what's happening this moment. What am I feeling? My feet on the floor. Like I'm, trying I'm, to I'm washing on. the dishes. I'm, I'm here. I'm physically here. So it's kind of like a moving meditation. Um, the other types of more formal meditation are you sit down, you close your eyes and you start observing your thoughts. But if you don't have a lot of, if you don't really have a background in meditation and you're totally new to it, it's a tricky terrain to try to navigate on your own because those thoughts can be pretty potent. And so it can be helpful as he's suggesting to have these groups where you're holding an intention of everybody being present together. Cause when there's somebody else there talking to you or there's somebody else sitting in front of you, it's not as natural to become totally internal and totally caught up in our thoughts to the same extent. It serves as a protective factor, right? It keeps you with the knowledge of I am here in this house with this particular roof under or over my head and you're not getting pulled back by past fears. I mean, I can, yeah. Cause like I can say when I've gone through more, some of my more depressive experiences, sitting down by myself is not really what helped me. What helped it me. It was comfortable for like, I agree. That's I what was, depression wants. Kind yeah, of. Yeah. I wants you to isolate yourself. Yeah. So like I could try meditating in those moments, but I would just fall asleep, <laughs> fall asleep <laughs> or just, be even closer to that rumination negative thought cycle rather that's why so much of uh, depression treatment is behavioral activation as well which is how do we get you from being internal to being a little more external and you know something interesting that um, Dr. Elisha Goldstein mentioned in I, I recently did a training by him so this is why I'm, I'm kind of bringing up the stuff that I learned is that they are referring to depression now as a form of trauma. That's new research to me. That makes so much sense because the way Dr. Mate and, and Thomas Hubel talk about trauma doesn't so much have to do with a specific event that happened to you, but with how your body reacts to it. So trauma is not, this is what do, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate says, that trauma is not what happens to you, it's what happens inside you. And as a result of these traumatic moments, what happens inside you is what disconnects you from yourself, which that makes sense for depression is when you suppress things down, you're kind of disconnecting certain emotion yourself from certain emotions because it's too painful. Mm -hmm. So that's a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And that's why when we are really, you know, we're really wanting to talk about this 
trauma topic right now because we want to normalize it because it's not that hard to have traumatic experiences. Mm. Everyone has big T or little T. Trauma. I mean, okay, so like if we just kind of go with the basic, Google the definition of trauma, what comes up, a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. Granted, there's way more to it than that. But even if we're just going off of that, a deeply disturbing or distressing experience, what counts as deeply disturbing and distressing is going to be different for each single person. Right, because it has to do with temperament. It has to do, I'm sure, a little bit with genes, with biology, with the social environment that you're in. It has to deal with so many things. Like you are probably not going to be affected and not probably, we can say this for a fact. Sometimes you can deal with more aggressive environments than I can. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we can be dealing with the same thing, but because I have a temperament that... Well, yeah, because my temperament unchecked is more aggressive. <laughs> That's my temperament. I, I can be more of a fighter. My... My maturing and healing process has been about reining that in and channeling it in ways that are healthy. So when somebody meets me with aggression, I'm not, I don't feel out of my element. I can navigate that. You know, it's, it's, it's that when we feel that we're in danger, we're in a distressing experience. We are at the end of the day, we're animals. Right. With and not higher every, consciousness. Not every animal is the same. And no, me unchecked. I have more of the fawning temperament right so if some someone meets me with aggression historically I have tried to just temper the situation and kind of bow down to kind of keep the fire tamed well it's either right it's either escape or fight it's the fight or flight response so go ahead yeah I was granted there's times when I've I I escape (laughs) you've seen that one time, this uh, random story, but one time I was at a at a party. I'm trying to figure out which one of the many you're probably going to uh, talk about. Yeah, I was at a party and the water, the water sprinklers went off in the yard, but it made a noise. I was like, Da-da-da. within a fraction of a second, I was on the other side of the entire household. <laughs> like it's super quick. Paul's a lion. Yeah. Or Leo. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm ready to either fight or to, if I, it's a very quick reflexive thing. Okay. I have to bring in this story real quick, which is the one I thought you were going to oh say. Oh my God. This one is so ridiculous. Again, Wait. I wish that we could say we were like 15 or 14. I, re- I mean, I wonder which one you're thinking about because that may even be a third story. Oh my God. But this one I'm thinking about is when we were at a house party. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> when we so were embarrassing. Like, how old are we? <laughs> Five and eight. <laughs> yeah. We were 13. No, no, we were older than that. How old were we? Age will remain undisclosed. Age will remain undisclosed, but we were at a house party and then all of a sudden I was underage. So not 21 yet. And Paula was gone. Well, now they know our age over 21. Yeah. And or 21. I don't know. But anyway, the cops. We're like right there. (laughs) (laughs) I had just turned 21 the day before. And the cops came to the party and there was alcohol there. And Paula immediately grabbed or no, no, no. We I couldn't. We didn't know where each other was. And I immediately froze. When I tell you I froze, like I could have fainted. That's how frozen I was. Yeah, you freeze. I didn't move. You fawn or freeze. My feet were planted on the floor as everyone was running around chaotically. And I was just staring at the blue lights out the window. And Paula immediately grabbed me. And she had, there were two guys that she had been befriended earlier on in the night. And she found out that they were Leos as well. (laughs) So she literally goes, Valentina, I have to go back inside and look for our keys. Just follow the Leos. (laughs) Yeah. And they took care of you. In my mind, just like 
completely went to like follow the Leos. And so they were like jumping over fences and I would just, wherever they were going, like I literally didn't give a fuck. I was just following them because my, when I fawn, I, I, my brain kind of shuts down. Yeah. So I kind of have you to go. You freeze or fawn. Cause those are two different things. You go either way. Right. I have, I had to go into just this like robot mode. You know, what's interesting I feel like we've been having so many insights around the topic of trauma and, and all this stuff lately. I mean, always, I guess we're always on this mental health topic, but I've been seeing the idea of freezing as a, a, they're categorized differently. You hear fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. I've been thinking, realizing that freezing is a form of flight when you can't physically escape freezing it in order to freeze you disconnect with what's happening that makes sense you disconnect from your environment I can relate to that a little bit because I definitely you know I've had that the fawning which I'm working on and with the freezing mechanism I definitely have been in situations where if it gets too emotionally charged my brain kind of shuts down and I feel myself dissociating a little bit. Like it's harder to stay present. Yeah. So, I I mean, it's different temperaments, dude. It really is. Yeah. Because if we grew up in the same environment, I don't, that's not my go-to. You know, I think that's something that, that is actually, I forgot where I read this recently, but it made me, I, it made me stop for a second and think like, yeah, that this is actually really important is to acknowledge individual temperament in psychotherapeutic healing it's not just what what did you experience it's did how did your temperament interpret that experience and that's why something that might be traumatizing for one person may not be the same level of trauma for another one and I think it's so important for us to talk about this because we need to be able to normalize these kinds of conversations and understand that having traumatic experiences does not mean that you need to get into a, a near death experience in order to say that you've or been go to war yeah. or been in a tra- traumatized environment no poverty causes trauma absolutely seeing other seeing people fight causes trauma seeing how many of our population is homeless that is a traumatic experience depending on your temperament yeah because we have something called mirror neurons so it's it's part of what helped our civilization and our species get this far is that we have an ability to collaborate in order to collaborate we have a fantastic ability to empathize with each other and so and some people do that more than others to a greater extent everything happens on a continuum you know we can say if we're just looking at regular statistics, most people fall somewhere in the, if we're, if you guys are familiar with the bell curve out there, most people fall somewhere in the, in the bell, in the middle, but there's always going to be people that are extra sensitive and there's people that are less sensitive, but it's a wide range. So you're going to get a mil, a billion different outcomes from the same experience. You know what else is very interesting that Thomas Hubel was saying? He was saying how when people, and I can relate to this, I can, you know, I consider myself a highly sensitive person and I am, but he, he was saying how sometimes you can be very highly sensitive and think, you know, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders or I can't be around that person because then 
you know, they, I feel too much of their pain. And he proposed something that was interesting, which was saying that oftentimes when we refer to ourselves as sensitive individuals who feel other people's pain, he's saying that it's an indication that we're not rooted enough. Mm. So he's saying the more sensitive the tree is, the deeper the roots have to go. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, the more sensitive that you are, the deeper the presencing has to go. So, you know, depending on who you are, how how sensitive you are, how, you know, not sensitive you are, that could be a good indication of how much how much presencing needs to go go on. And when he says presencing, he's basically referring to mindfulness. He's referring to mindfulness and operating out of a place of right now and not operating out of a fearful place of living in the past place. Yeah, the tricky part about that is, and this is why there's so many layers to this conversation, is that also if you've experienced, depending on the the extent of the trauma that you experience, being in the present moment is, is really not, doesn't feel safe. Because in order to be present, you have to be in your body. And depending on the kind of trauma that you experience and the extent of it, being in your body feels very dangerous instinctively to you. So even if consciously you're deciding, okay, I'm going to be present, your body can start revolting against that and it's not going to let you. And so it's also having some compassion around that because I can easily see, and there's something I struggled with in the past too when I first started mindfulness and stuff, just the level of frustration and irritation that you experience with yourself when you, you're not successfully achieving presence. And so it's just bringing in some awareness of why or questioning your curiosity around why maybe your bot, why maybe you, it doesn't feel safe for you to be fully present. Yeah. And that's interesting that you're saying that because that's what Gabor Mate says as well. He says help, part of healing yourself is compassionate inquiry. So oh asking God, yourself everything, you know, if someone is making a loud noise and it's really, really terrifying you on the inside and you just can't deal with it and it makes your skin crawl, you can say, well, hmm, instead of being like, God, I hate that I'm like this. Like, why do loud noises bother me? Yeah. Or I have to convince myself that they don't bother me when right. in reality they do. Instead of just suppressing it or overlooking it, if that's, you know, or shaming thing, it or yeah. shaming it you would say, well, this is interesting. Why does this loud noise bother me? And treating yourself like you were a kid. And we've talked about this a lot before, but really being there with your kid. And he says that with, he wrote a book about parenting. He is hold on to your kids, his hold on to your kids. And he talks so much about childhood. That's where everything stems from. Yeah. And He talks about how if you have a kid that is crying because you don't eat the let them eat a cookie, for example, and you yell at them and you say, what's wrong with you? Stop crying. Like you're not going to have that cookie or you spank them or you lock them up. They're just going to interpret that as now I'm receiving a lack of love. So instead of doing that and yelling at your kid, you could really just meet them where they're at and say, oh, that makes you sad. You can't eat that cookie. Oh, I know. I know. It sucks. You empathize, you know, yeah. You empathize. That's really important because when you do that, your kid is not going to feel that that lack of love and they're not going to interpret that, oh, mommy or daddy only loves me when I'm not crying, so it's not safe to show my anger. It's not safe to show my sadness. Mm-hmm. So when you meet your kid where you're at, they're at, they feel safe in expressing, oh, I can be sad and my mom and my dad aren't going to 
get mad at me or run away for, for because of it. And I can be angry and I can throw a bit of a temper tantrum and all will be well. Well, yeah, I can still be a part of my tribe while having emotions. If we feel that our parents' love is conditional, then if their response was making mistakes is harsh retribution or punishment, and we start associating, associating that with conditional love, that very instinctive tribal part of us, this is wired into us, it, it will say you, it's, it's akin to being exiled or the threat of exile. So what ends up happening then is that we learn to suppress emotions early on so that there's no negative consequences to having emotions. And then the consequences of that is that we don't get to experience authentic connection. And the consequence of not experiencing authentic connection is that trauma, trauma, our nervous system just can't. We're wired for connection. We're beings that connect. Listen, this is why we need to normalize this conversation, because something as simple as what we literally just explained can be a traumatic experience for a child, because when they they their parents have harsh reactions to their anger or their sadness, they're going to develop a coping mechanism that is going to help them in the short run get love. Right. Or keep the family dynamics stable and still and calm. But in the long run, that's when it becomes a dysfunction. That coping mechanism is really going to be their depression later on, or it's going to be some a way for them to, or a block in their, in their connection with other people. Mm-hmm. And Gabor Mate talks a lot about how addiction is a manifestation of trauma. And when people are in recovery from addiction or other traumatic experiences, what are they recovering? They're recovering themselves. They're recovering connection to themselves because these coping mechanisms, and that's that's what he says. He says, don't ask why the, what does he say? Don't ask why the addiction. Basically, his whole thing is don't, don't to, to bring in a more compassionate, holistic, biopsychosocial approach to treating addiction, which means being aware of the trauma that caused it. Yeah, he says, okay, I just Googled it. He says, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. So healing yourself is not just focusing on the depression. Healing yourself is not just healing the symptoms of what happened. Healing yourself is attending to the original wound. So when you're in recovery, you're recovering yourself. You're reconnecting with yourself. And that means reconnecting with the whole of who you are, which means the full range of your emotions. And that's what helps people heal from addiction and start to heal the trauma. I mean, in order to even heal the trauma, you have to touch the wound. You have to look at it. So if you're scared of experiencing those emotions, it's a little bit tougher. And that's where therapy or being in safe connection with other people really facilitates this process because there's other people helping to regulate your nervous system at the same time that you're tapping into that. But there's no way to do the healing work without tapping into that pain. And if it's it's, it's little kiddos we learned that having these negative or heavier emotions was not allowed then you can see how that would be a conflict when it comes to treating these things because you, you actually have to go there in order to even heal it and I don't think it's hard for kids to feel like their hard their deeper emotions are not allowed I think it's, it's very so, easy it's so easy even so, in my non-informed babysitting days I am sure when I was a 16 year old taking care of little babies and they're crying I'm sure there was a part of me that was like why are you crying yeah you know like oh my I god for you. sure I did what I could for sure I mean having I apologize to the babies 
part of normalizing this means that when you hear the word trauma, it doesn't mean you were abused as a kid. It might mean that. Sometimes, unfortunately, it does mean that. But that's not the majority of the cases. You know, we're talking about trauma with a smaller T. That's all around us. And so it's all about how your system interpreted that. And, And as kids, we're egocentric. I mean, we know that from developmental psychology that until you're about seven or eight, you, you can't, you don't even know how to put yourself in the shoes of, of other people. You know, you see two kids having a conversation in the playgrounds. It's a very selfish conversation. It's I, 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 they're not even really fully connecting. They're both kind of experiencing their own reality. So when adults do things because they're stressed out, you don't have the ability to say, Oh, this adult is stressed out. That's their experience. You have an egocentric mind. You don't, your brain hasn't developed that ability yet. All, all you know is how do I make sure that I stay, that I, that I secure the attachment of my caregivers to ensure my survival. And all I know is my own experience is very egocentric. So if they're upset, I'm going to automatically assume it's because I'm not a good enough kid. If my parent isn't psych- psychologically present, I'm going to assume it's because I'm not worth being present for when in reality it could be they learned to dissociate as a result of their childhood or whatever it is that they went through. So all that is really important for us to recognize if we are going to keep having these conversations about trauma, because if again, if you associate the word trauma with like something as as intense and as painful as childhood abuse and you hear somebody talking about trauma, then you, you might immediately make that connection and think they're referring to something that dramatic And that's just not the case. It's going to be different for everybody. I mean, when I do regressions uh, for trauma healing with clients and when I when we did it to therapists in in order to get trained to do hypnotherapy, you do regressions in order to, to go back to the original wound. Sometimes it was something as simple as my parent uh, left the room for 10 minutes. And that's the point at which my brain might have made an association. Listen, being human is a delicate project that our souls or however you want to think of it decided to undertake and the reason I feel so comfortable talking about all these topics is because in my mind they're not stigmatized in my mind and in my experience and if you have evidence otherwise you know somebody dm me or or show me you know every single family on the planet earth has trauma and has transgenerational trauma and so if we feel that it, if we're scared to talk about it, how are we ever going to heal? Like, come on, this is the elephant in the room. Look how traumatized the leaders of the the, the U.S. are. For those of y'all that tune into the debate, I mean, come on. I mean, if you tune into anything. If you tune into anything. If you haven't tuned out of life, you are aware. Yeah, exactly. So there's no stigma around this. This is part of being human. Depression can be the result of chronic stress. It doesn't mean that your family or your parents or whoever had some major failing. It could just be that you're human on earth and your particular temperament is responding in this way. And so if we can normalize this and people can start to open their mind up to it, then we can normalize having conversations about it without people feeling like they are being blamed or attacked for other people's interpretation of 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 their pain you know and that's a huge part of it too it's like you don't want to make somebody feel bad by bringing this up that's why 
and this just pops into my mind. That's why the four agreements, are you guys familiar with the four agreements? If you're not, look it up. It's awesome. It's shamanic Toltec wisdom. Uh, the, one of the, the top agreements for in, in shamanic Toltec wisdom is just wisdom that was passed on through generation and family after family for hundreds of years, if not thousands, just wisdom attained through life experiences. One of the top things that they say is don't take things personally. Don't take things personally. It's hard. We're not going to just simplify that because that's hard. I take things personally all the time. <laughs> my as part of my healing journey is to realize and integrate that information. And if I can not take it personally or just kind of keep that somewhere in the forefront of my consciousness, then I can let somebody else talk about their pain, a pain that somehow I might have taken part in inadvertently without feeling like I'm being called a bad human. I feel like when we bring these things up in friendships or families or whatever environment, it's because we are willing to move forward and we want to shed light on something that we can heal and that we can move forward in. So I think it's just such an important conversation that we all should invite in. And also with the awareness that it is not going to be comfortable. It's hard not to feel attacked. It is. It really is. Yeah, it is. But it's so important because it's important for your own emotional health and for your physical health. I mean, so many of the diseases that are occurring in our world are today stress are stress related. If you guys haven't seen one nation under stress, mm -hmm. go look it up. Yeah. That will just show you right away how there Most, are yeah. multiple deaths. I mean, a huge point like due I, to stress. Yeah. And there's actually this British surgeon who operated on lung cancer, David Kissam. I think I'm saying his name right. But in the 1960s and he operated on um, on lung cancer and he noticed through his studies that it took less cigarette smoke to kill people who suppressed their anger and their pain. Yes. And he I, actually Gabor, this is a Gabor Mate episode. <laughs> if you haven't noticed. Uh, Gabor, can, listen, y'all, I just need you all to go into his email and his DMs. He's not on Instagram. And he really isn't. He's got one picture from a million years ago, but figure out a way we're all savvy and get him on this show. He is He's just the godfather of my psychology. I, I, Gabor Maite is my greatest mentor. That's who I want to have Easily. a conversation with. Like, you know how they say like dead or alive? Yeah. That's it's Gabor Maite. Easily. But he he was talking about a research study that found and I can't tell you the exact numbers, but just so you guys get the premise, the idea here that women that were in an unhappy marriage, but expressed their emotion were significantly less likely to get cancer than women that were like in a kind of stable marriage, in a stable marriage and suppress their emotion. And for me, this is kind of understanding that emotions are energy in motion. So there's something else that Gabor Mate does really well is that he doesn't just stop at understanding the human experience from the biopsychosocial model. He adds in biopsychosocial spiritual so all those layers is what makes up a human being. And I am 100% aligned with that perspective. I very much work from that perspective. Then we that takes me into a conversation of energy. And emotions are energy and motion. And if you're blocking the energy from moving out through your body, what's going to happen? It's going to get stuck inside of you. And your body's just not going to function as well as if you're just staying light, expressing it however it needs to be expressed. And instead of letting it clog up your system and becoming an illness. And 
he says that, you know, um, illnesses are not meant to be battled. And that's what the Western world does. It kind of throws pills at it and it throws radiation and all of these things at it. It's a battle. It's like a, a war field. When someone is sick, they, they try to throw all these remedies on them. But he says emotion or illnesses are meant to be understood. They're a potential teacher. Why well, are they here? Why are they showing up? Yeah. What is the context from which they are arising? Well, and that's something that I tell my clients too, for example, is that your anxiety is not something to be fixed. It's something it's something that needs tending to. Which I think is so freeing because then it's not a life sentence or and death it's not, sentence. And it's not stigmatizing because if something needs to be fixed, that means you're broken. None of us are broken. We're living, breathing organisms that shift and move and have infinitely different ex- re- reaction to the same stimuli as each other and so the more that we can understand and the more that we recognize that we're all going to be impacted differently and that trauma to one person is going is not going to be trauma to another one then maybe we can talk about these things without it being personal without taking it personally so all of these conversations are so important for us to have in our human journeys we say healing journeys but healing journeys are really just human journeys it's all of us reconnecting back to ourselves Mm. I had the last birthday post that I put up on Instagram I put 27 years of experiencing adventuring and reconnecting back with myself coming back to myself because essentially that's that's what we're doing with our relationship with ourselves with our relationship with others we're presencing ourselves and coming back to ourselves yeah, and, and to me, coming back to ourselves really just means allowing the full range of our emotional expression to be welcomed. Every single part of me is welcome here. This goes back to the parts podcast that we had last week. So tune into that if you want to get more insight into that. But yeah, just every single part of me is welcome here. I don't have to leave any part out. This is why I love breath work, right? Because it's not an intellectual practice. It's a feeling practice. So important. So you're not going to ask your brain a question that it already doesn't have the answer to. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And when you do breath work, you shut down your brain. Well, you, your brain is still functioning. Your brain is still functioning, but you shut down the, the reasoning th- part. The reasoning. The part. reasoning part takes a little bit of a break. And all of the thoughts that are flying in and out, they kind of take a pause. You kind of sedate them for a minute. Yeah. And you feel your body. Yeah. You feel what needs to be felt. And it's not an overwhelming sensation because you don't have your brain intellectualizing and forming narratives around what's happening and telling you that you're not supposed to be feeling things or that's weird or that's wrong or that's dark or that's whatever. You're just feeling them. Yeah. And also, Humans, we're masters of self-deception. It takes engaging with a therapist that you trust or just it, it takes engaging in relationship with your people in your life too, not just a therapist to help mirror back and reveal to you the parts that you don't see. And so that's why just trying to ask yourself, you know, why is this happening? Or you don't even know all the parts of you that need healing from an intellectual standpoint. Until somebody else either comes in and helps you see it or that's not to negate the compassionate inquiry, though. You should still be able to have compassion for yourself and ask, why am I potentially feeling this way or why am I triggered? Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, though, recognizing like that's not going to give us all the answers. Right. It's just not. But to add to that, there's a huge 
the there's a, a huge uh, research correlation, inverse correlation between depression and self-compassion. So that by inverse correlation, that just means that when self-compassion is high, depression is low. When depression is high, self-compassion is low. And so that's just an interesting tidbit of information to validate why self-compassion is so important. But yeah, compassion and inquiry can take us pretty far, but it's not going to bring the fullness of it. There is a point at which you actually have to just give the rational thinking mind a little bit of a break and feel your experiences. So I guess that's where you're going with why breath work is so important and practices that are about embodying. It's so important. In the last breath work session, I did a solo one on myself. It was feel. It was wild. And every time it's so wild. It's a feeling that you cannot put into words and is very healing. Sometimes we think that we need to read a lot and and it does definitely does help to, you know, understand these things on an intellectual level. But there's another component where sometimes we just need to feel. It's a whole about beyond well, what we can think. Yeah, well well these two functions are meant to be working in partnership we have an ability to feel and we have an ability to rationalize it's just that and i i think ram das is the one that says said this that we something along these lines that we live in a society that idolizes the rational mind we think we're going to get all the answers in that way and we're not so i mean bringing as much knowledge as you can and, and learning learning helps to destigmatize it the more you know, the more that it's not, it doesn't make you abnormal. You know, it doesn't make you wrong. or It doesn't make you a bad person, for example, to be hypervigilant. You know, if you understand why you're hypervigilant, then you can bring compassion into it. It just fills in the gaps. It fills in the gaps, which then facilitates self-compassion. To me, the more I understand about why I am the way I am, the more that I can have compassion for it because it, that gives me a little bit more space between who I am in my understanding of it so then I can kind of reparent myself through it and hopefully we're shedding light on some of this stuff for you guys to be able to really understand like why we're doing what we're doing because we just we know how healing it is yeah you know and, I love knowledge and also invite in also do I I am a Sagittarius north node and they're here to seek greater wisdom is that what they are they really are that in adventures and I'm an Aquarius north node which is the humanitarian. And that means that I'm here to move away from being a Leo, which is kind of messed up because my son is in Leo. So like, what are we doing here? Like, it's a very confusing predicament between wanting to be the star and wanting to be here just for others. Paula needs a breathwork session. <laughs> I need a breathwork session. But really, I am going to start expanding it out to anyone who's interested because in the past I've historically you know done to myself and to close friends so it's been really intimate private groups and they can still be intimate and private but in my last session I got the message my heart felt so open in that last one that the only thing I could think afterwards was other people need to be feeling this especially right now mm. especially right now if you guys are interested you can DM us. You can email us at community at prettymental.com. This is something I'm really passionate about. I And it is a, such a strong healing modality that really does open you up in a way that sometimes meditation really just can't even do. Or even talk. Or even talk. Eat what? Talk. Just talk therapy. Yeah, talk therapy. Or I'm saying just talking things out. Because the whole premise of breath 
breath work is that you're going into your body. You're not really talking through it. You're coming back into your body. And that's so important to connecting back with yourself. That's what embodiment is, right? You get back into your body. And that's a way to heal a lot of the disconnection mm-hmm. from yourself. So yeah, we're so here. We're here for it intellectually through our podcast and sen what's the word? Sensorily. <laughs> I was gonna say sensually, and then I was like, that's not. But I mean, that's what it is. I mean it is. That's another thing that we need to reclaim. Because sensuality does not equate sexuality. But that is for next time, my friends. Paul is trying to have a whole nother podcast. <laughs> All right, you guys, tune in every Monday at 6 a.m. EST. Los queremos mucho. Mm -hmm. Be kind to yourselves out there. Bye. Bye.